It's great to see you all here. Some of you know that I've been training because I'm going to finish up that 800-mile hike where I got sabotaged by a 6,000-pound boulder that dislodged from the mountainside and rolled over my body. It broke my hip, broke my femur, broke my forearm, three ribs. That happened two years ago. But this fall, I'm going to go out and finish the final 300 miles and make sure we get that wrapped up. So I, I have been training. I have been hiking. So this past Thursday, I went out with Joe Martinez, our executive pastor, and Dave Ansel, our uh, Scottsdale campus pastor, for a 14-mile hike. We were doing so good. We were hiking, enjoying the day, and I was out leading the pack. And all of a sudden, I noticed Dave Ansel, he passes me up, and he pats me on the back. I thought that was so nice. That was so endearing. And he kind of goes ahead of me. But the longer I walk, I thought, man, my backpack is feeling heavier. What's wrong with this picture? And so finally we stop after about two more miles to get a, a drink, and I reach in to get my bottle, and this is what I pull out. <laughs> this is what I deal with, you know? The Bible says the wicked you have with you always. No, that's the poor. I'm sorry. It's the poor. But uh, that was a wicked, evil thing to do. And Joe was a co-conspirator to the whole thing. I want you to know, conspirator. You know, when you're hiking, the last thing you want is unnecessary weight. It is so difficult to get to your destination to finish the thing when you're carrying unnecessary weight. And when you're trying to get to your destiny, your God-sized dream, one thing you don't want to do is carry unnecessary weight. This is the final week of our series we're calling Dream On. The story of Joseph's life and how he reached his destiny. And we've learned that getting to your destiny involves three things. It involves God giving you a dream. Then there's detours on the way to your destiny. God's process is the dream and then detours and then your destiny. And nothing, and I mean nothing in life, will keep you from reaching your destiny like the unnecessary weight of unforgiveness. Nothing will keep you stuck in a detour like unforgiveness. It's when you carry the weight of yesterday, it keeps you stuck where you are today, and it thwarts your effort tomorrow in getting to your destiny. Now look, if anybody had the right to be bitter, if anybody had the right to be angry and hold a grudge, it was Joseph. He was born into a dysfunctional family. He had a deceiver for a daddy. He had jealous brothers who stripped him of his robe and threw him into a pit, left him to die, then rescued him from the pit, sold him into slavery. As a slave, he worked himself to the top of Potiphar's household, but Potiphar was married to a cougar, and she went after Joseph. And when he rejected her, what did she do? She accused him of trying to rape her. Then he was thrown in jail unjustly for 13 years. If anybody had the right to be angry and bitter and hold a grudge and say life is not fair, it was Joseph. It's so interesting to me that Joseph's story in the Bible occupies from Genesis 37 all the way to Genesis 50, 13 chapters out of the creation book of the Bible. So obviously God wanted to spotlight this young man's life to teach us the principles for how to reach our destiny. One of the things that Joseph was going to have to grapple with if he was going to reach his destiny, 
was this issue of unforgiveness. Some of us today right now are being held hostage by a rope around us called unforgiveness and it just keeps jerking us backward in life and we can't reach our destiny. Maybe it's something that happened to you when you were a child. Maybe it's something your parents did to you. Maybe a spouse walked out on you or cheated on you or rejected you. Maybe a business partner stole something from you. Whatever it is in your life is holding you hostage. And today we want to see you set free. Can you say amen to that? We want to see you walk out of here free. So what I want to do today, and I hope you all will just latch on to every word I say, is I want to ask and answer four questions about forgiveness. Here's the first one. What is forgiveness anyway? Let me give you a definition of forgiveness because part of the problem is a lot of people don't know what forgiveness is. So they don't know if they've forgiven or not. Here it is. Forgiveness is a decision to no longer credit an offense to the account of the offender. It's a decision to no longer credit an offense to the account of your offender. Forgiveness is actually a math term, which is why Jesus instructed us to pray, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. It's all about mathematics. It's kind of like when you use a calculator. When using a calculator, you punch in numbers. If you punch in the wrong numbers, what do you do? You have to hit the delete button to delete the error so you can begin again. Forgiveness is making a decision to delete an offense. Forgiveness is not first and foremost an emotion. It's a decision to hit the delete button. So here's the question. How do I know if I've really made the decision to forgive? How do I know that I haven't just said I have forgiven when I actually have not forgiven. Let me give you a qualifying measure of whether or not you have truly forgiven the offense or the offender. Here it is. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you still seeking revenge? Are you still seeking revenge? Are you still seeking payback? If you have, forgiveness has not occurred. Because forgiveness occurs when you hit the delete button in your life where you no longer, as the Apostle Paul says, keep record of the wrong. You've hit the delete button. So again, I want to give you this definition of forgiveness because it doesn't matter how you feel. It's not an emotion. It's a decision because you may feel great about a person one day and feel mad at them the next day. So it's a decision. It's a Forgiveness is a decision to no longer credit an offense to the account of the offender. It means you're no longer relating to the person on the basis of that offense. Is that clear? Second question. Let's go a little bit deeper now in our understanding of forgiveness. What are the levels of forgiveness? Some of you are like, what, levels? I didn't know there's levels of forgiveness. Yeah, what are the levels? Forgiveness can operate on two different levels. First of all, there's unilateral forgiveness. Unilateral forgiveness. Unilateral forgiveness is when you forgive someone when they haven't asked for it, requested it, or deserve it. You are forgiving them on your own without their involvement. You are granting them forgiveness. Now the question is, why would anyone ever practice unilateral forgiveness? Why would anyone forgive someone who doesn't want to be forgiven, doesn't deserve to be forgiven? Here's why because it frees you up. It sets you free. Nothing will 
hold you hostage to the past than when you hold unforgiveness to someone who may never get it right. So you have to be free. Maybe the offense is so small that you never bring it up. Or maybe the person that offended you has died, so they can't say they're sorry. And if you're not willing to unilaterally forgive them, then you're going to be held hostage to that thing, well, to a dead person, until you die. Or maybe the person isn't around anymore. You don't know where they are, and so they can't make it right. And if you don't unilaterally forgive them, then you are held hostage to an individual who has no interest in getting things right. I'll give you an example. When I was 18 years old, believe it or not, I was in the car business. There's a man here in this church who would buy cars that were pretty new, but they had a major accident, maybe just a few thousand miles on them. And sometimes the accident was so bad the car was totaled out. He'd buy it. And then he would put new bumpers on it and fix the engine up. And I thought, man, this is a good business. So I said, I'm going to get in the car business, and I start buying some cars from him, fixing them up, and then flipping them and selling them. I was 18 years old. The first car that I bought from him, his name was C.G., was a 1988 Burgundy tor uh, Oldsmobile Tornado. Here's a picture of it right here. I mean, wasn't that, isn't that a beautiful car? I, how many of you ever heard of a Tornado? Raise your hand real high. How many of you ever heard of Oldsmobile? Raise your hand real high. How many have not heard of Oldsmobile? Raise your hand. <laughs> a lot of people. Can you believe we don't have Oldsmobile around anymore? Well, I, I bought this car, and I got it all fixed up, spent a lot of money. I was trying to sell it. One day I walk out and someone had walked by the driver door and keyed it. Long scratch on the driver's side door. I was so ticked off. Every day I saw that scratch, I got more angry at a scratch. I didn't know who did it. I didn't know where they went. All I knew, I was ticked off at a scratch. Do you know what I had to do? I had to take that car down to the paint shop and pay someone to repaint that door so that I would not be angered by a scratch anymore. I had to unilaterally forgive this person even though I didn't know who he was so I wouldn't keep talking about the dirty, routing, low, low down, no good sucker who did this to my, I haven't forgiven, have I? I'm sorry. I thought I, I, thought I got rid of that. But unilateral forgiveness is forgiving someone so that you can be set free, so you can move on. Well, Luke, is that even biblical? Well, sure it is. Remember Stephen? Stephen was being stoned to death. This is what it says in Acts 7. He fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against these guys. In the process of being stoned to death, these folks didn't ask for forgiveness. They didn't request forgiveness. They didn't uh, deserve forgiveness. But he said, I want to forgive them anyway. And look at what happened next. Verse 55, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So when you forgive unilaterally, it gives you a whole new level of access to God. That's why you need to forgive. So listen, friends, don't let the fact that a person who has hurt you or offended you, don't let the fact that they haven't said sorry keep you from forgiving. Because nothing will keep you stuck in the past and not able to move forward into your destiny like unforgiveness. There's a second level of forgiveness. And this is called transactional forgiveness. This is very important, so listen carefully. This is going to help you get beyond forgiveness today, unforgiveness. 
Transactional forgiveness happens when the person who has wronged you expresses a desire to reconcile the relationship and they're willing to confess and repent. Confess, I did wrong, and repent, yes, I'll change, in order to reconcile the relationship. Because anybody can say, wait, I'm sorry, and not mean it. That's why confession must be tested to see if there really is true repentance. Are you following me? That's exactly what Joseph does in Genesis chapter 42. And let me give you the context. Joseph now is 38 years old. This whole detour began when he was just 17 years old. But back when he was 30 years old, we learned last week that he interpreted Pharaoh's dream for him. And he said there's going to be seven years of prosperity followed by seven years of famine. So save up the good crops during prosperity for the famine that is to come. And now at 38 years old, we're in year number one of the famine. The land is being devastated. His brothers and his daddy are down in Canaan, and they're being affected by the famine. And so Joseph's dad tells his brothers, go up to Egypt. There's food up there. Buy some food. So they travel on up to Egypt, and they get in line to buy food. And Joseph is at the front of the line, and he spots his brothers. He hasn't seen them in 21 years. The last time he saw them, they threw him in a pit and left him to die. And now he sees them, but they don't recognize him. And Joseph is now second in command of all of Egypt. Can you imagine that? When they get to the front of the line, they tell Joseph, we've come from Canaan, and we are starving to death. We want to buy some supplies. And Joseph is tough with them, even though they don't recognize him. He says, no, you're spies. You're trying to spy off the land. Prove to me. I want to test you to see that you're telling the truth. This is what it says in verse 15. This is how you will be tested. He tells them, go back home and get your little brother, your baby brother. Now, Joseph is talking about himself because he was a baby brother. Bring your baby brother back. And they say to him, our baby brother is at home, but our father won't let him come. He thinks they're lying. So he's testing them. He sends them back home. Catch this now. They bring back a brand new baby brother, Benjamin. Joseph has never met Benjamin. He didn't know Benjamin was even alive. And the Bible says when he sees Benjamin, he has to leave the room. He begins to weep and cry because he's never met this new brother. So now they passed the test. They were telling the truth. So he brings him into the palace and gives him a great meal that night. He gives Benjamin a double portion of the dinner. But he tests them one more time because he stuffs a silver cup from the palace in Benjamin's backpack. And when they were leaving, Joseph opens up his backpack and says, See, you're trying to steal from me. He was testing them again to see if they would throw their younger brother Benjamin to the dogs the same way they threw Joseph to the dogs 21 years ago. Judah stands up and says, no, please don't take him into custody. Take me instead. For my father lost his youngest son one time. It almost killed him. Surely it will kill him if he loses his son too. And the Bible says that Joseph began to weep and cry because they'd passed the test. Listen, if somebody says to you, I'm sorry, put them to the test. Especially if they want to resolve the relationship. Matthew 3, 8 tells us, produce fruit consistent with repentance. In other words, there should be something you can see or, or hear or, or touch. Not just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry is a confession with your lips. But repentance is a change of action. 
So if they say they're sorry, look for change. Look for a change of lifestyle. Because that truly is repentance. And look this way. When a person repents, it should open the door for restoration of the relationship. Catch us now, as much as possible. And the reason why I say as much as possible is because some things can only be restored to a certain point. Let's say a, a man cheats on his wife. And he walks away from her and marries another woman. But then one day he finds out that he, how, how he did wrong to his first wife. And he wants to make it right. But now he's married to a second wife. So what does he do? Well, the relationship can only be restored to a certain point because the situation has now changed. So while there can be some level of restoration, it's limited because of the decisions that the man has made. So the idea is to reconcile as much as possible. And that's called transactional forgiveness. Is this helping anybody here today? I know you're all dealing with this. Question number three. What are the evidences of forgiveness? How do you really know if you have forgiven? Because some of us say, yeah, I've forgiven. But how do you really know? I want to show you four quick evidences from Joseph's life that will show you or tell you if you truly have forgiven. And this, when I, when I was studying this passage this past week, I almost, it almost brought me to tears. Because I, I love this man Joseph so much. I cannot wait to meet him in heaven one day. The way he handled his life, the way he honored God, the way he sought forgiveness. This is what it says, Genesis 45, verse 1. Then Joseph, and this is right after now, the cup was revealed and... Judah repented of his sin, so repentance has taken place. This is what happens next. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave the room. Everyone leave the room, all you Egyptians. So there was no one with Joseph when he, when he made himself known to his brothers. Here's the first way that you can know in your heart if you have forgiveness. Evidence number one, when you don't bring other people into the situation who had nothing to do with the situation. When you don't bring outsiders in. Joseph told the Egyptians in the room, leave the room. This has nothing to do with you. I'm going to confront my my. The, the people who have harmed me in life, my offenders, so you all get out of here. You will always know a person hasn't forgiven because they want to bring other people into a situation that has absolutely nothing to do with them. You don't know what happened here. You cannot fix it. You know, you cannot solve it, but I'm going to bring you into it because I want to vent. I want to tell you something about them because I'm seeking vengeance. Hmm. Joseph said, you Egyptians leave the room. And then when the Egyptians leave the room, he unveils himself to his brothers, but he didn't involve outsiders in this personal matter. So look, if you're bringing outsiders into a situation that doesn't involve them, then you're not doing it God's way. You haven't forgiven. You're being divisive. You're making it worse. Secondly, evidence number two, you know you have forgiven, catch this now, when the offender feels at ease with you. When the offender feels at ease with you. Verse 4, then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. Oh, I love that. Come on, boys. Come close to me. You know, when someone hasn't forgiven, what do they say? Get away from me. 
talk to the hand. We push them away. I never want to see you again. But Joseph says to his brothers who tried to kill him, come close to me. I'm not a Pollyanna. I'm not ignoring it. Yes, you did me wrong, but I'm now welcoming you into my space. He makes them feel comfortable in his presence. And that's what forgiveness does. It creates a space for those who have have offended you because they've repented, the brothers. And now he wants to work on reconciliation. Evidence number three. When you help the offender forgive themselves for what they've done wrong to you. Verse 5, he says to his brothers, do not be distressed and angry with yourselves for selling me here. Joseph says, don't be angry with yourselves. Joseph had already forgiven them for what they did to him, but they could not forgive themselves. And so what does he say? He says, come close to me. Come on, boys. I can imagine them huddling around, putting his arms around them, looking into their eyes with sensitive eyes and saying, please don't be angry with yourself. Please stop beating yourselves up. He helps them to forgive themselves. I love this about Joseph. He doesn't heap guilt on top of guilt to make sure they felt double guilt. He has a heart to protect them. Please don't be angry with yourselves. Now, I know some of you are looking at me right now, and you're you're saying to yourself, that is impossible what you're saying. How could a man possibly do this how could a man possibly live his life with this kind of perspective it all goes back to your view of God remember last week we talked about the providence of God nothing happens in this life outside of God's providence providence is the the fingers of God moving in the glove of history orchestrating events that take place all across the planet earth Joseph lived in that perspective. Look at what he says next in verse 5. He says, do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me here ahead of me. So Joseph says, you guys, you guys sold me here. God sent me here. You guys meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. When you have a view of God, that God will even use the, the, the mess that people messed you up with, turn the thing around and use the mess to push you into your destiny, then what will happen is you will stop trying to take vengeance yourself. You'll let God take care of it. Because you know God is using the whole mess somehow to make a way for you to move forward into your destiny. Evidence number four. You know when you have forgiven when you seek to protect your offenders. Look at what Joseph said next. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. Friends, don't miss this. He tells his brothers, go back home and tell daddy I'm okay up here in Egypt. Notice he doesn't tell his brothers to go home and tell daddy what you did. He didn't say, go home and tell daddy every dirty little detail of how you abused me and threw me into a pit and tried to kill me. He was protecting them from the one who would be hurt the most by this because he he had a heart for God. He was seeking transactional forgiveness and not personal vengeance. Now look this way as we begin to land this airplane. 
If you're holding on to something today, if you're still seeking personal vengeance, then you are blocking God from taking vengeance on his own. And he'll let you do it if you don't let him do it. Because Romans 12, 9 says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. God believes in justice. God believes in payback in his time and in his way, and he does not need our help. I'm not talking about somebody who breaks the law. That's a legal matter, and that needs to be dealt with. I'm talking about personal vengeance. God says, don't do it. Vengeance is mine. I'll take care of it. And man, if you read the whole story of Joseph, I hope you have, Genesis 37 all the way through Genesis 50, Right in the middle of this amazing story about a man named Joseph is a chapter, chapter 38, that lays out what happened to Judah. Judah was the ringleader who told the brothers, let's throw him into the pit. Let's kill him. And when you read the story of Joseph, or Judah's life in chapter 38, it's a mess. His sons start to die one by one. His daughter-in-law tricks him into sleeping with her, and she conceives a son by this man, Judah. It's a family mess. Because the Bible says that God will repay. Okay, now if you don't believe that, then you'll try to repay on your own. But if you believe in the providence of God, it will free you up from having to avenge yourself because you will have this perspective that even the evil that these people did to me, God's going to use it somehow. He's going to take the bad and the ugly and mold it and shape it and make it work out somehow for my good. That's what the Word of God says. If you don't take vengeance on your own. So, lastly... What helped Joseph to forgive? I'm going to give you some good news now. Okay, you ready? It got real quiet in this Presbyterian church, but are you ready? Are you ready? Okay, you're going to have to help me. What helped Joseph to forgive? Because this is a painful thing this man went through. Very painful. Some of you have gone through very painful things in life. So what was it that helped him to forgive? Look at Genesis chapter 41. This is so beautiful. Verse 50. It says, before the years of the famine that came, so this is before he had his episode with his brothers, the silver cup and all that. Two sons were born to Joseph by Azanath, daughter of Potipharah. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh. Everybody say Manasseh. And said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son was named Ephraim. Everybody say Ephraim. And said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. So, God set Joseph up for forgiveness by giving him a brand new family. His old family messed him over. His old family was bad. But God helped him to forget his old family by giving him a new family. And the way he kept reminding himself he was no longer a hostage to his old family was by the names he gave to his two boys. He named his first son Manasseh. Manasseh, he says, means that God has helped me to forget my past and the problems of my family. So every time Joseph called Manasseh's name, Manasseh, time to get up. 
Manasseh, time for breakfast. Manasseh, time to do your homework. Manasseh, time to do your chores. Every time he said the name Manasseh, he was reminded, God has helped me forget my past. God has helped me forget my past. God has helped me forget my past. He had a baby that helped him remind him that God's given him a new future. So what am I saying to you today? I'm saying to you today that you need to go out and have a baby. Come on, somebody. You need to go out of this place today, and if you're married now, you need to go have a baby. If you're not married, a spiritual baby. To remind you that you're not the same person you were in that household. You're someone new. God will help you forget the past. You say, Pastor, how can I ever forget what they did to me? He didn't forget what they did because he just said, you sold me into slavery. He's acknowledging it. It's not forgetting the action. It's forgetting the pain. He remembered what they did, but he felt different now because God had helped him to forget the pain of the past. And Manasseh was the name that reminded him, I've gotten over the pain. But in order to get truly in a space of unforgiveness, you also need to add an Ephraim to Manasseh. Ephraim says, God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. So here it is. Manasseh is, God has caused me to forget all my troubles, but Ephraim is, God is blessing me in the land I am right now. Because you can get so locked into the past, you can forget that God is blessing you right now in this day to day because you're so focused on the past. Ephraim is saying to yourself, look at me now. I'm in a place I shouldn't even be in. I'm in Egypt. I was a slave. I was thrown away by my family. But look at me now. I'm the governor of Egypt. God is blessing me in the land where I am today. That is Ephraim. So do me a favor. Go out and have two babies. Go have a Manasseh, something to remind yourself that you're no longer hostage to the pain of your past. And have an Ephraim to remind yourself that God is blessing me in the situation I'm in right now. You never expected to be single, young lady, but God is blessing you where you are right now. You never uh, thought you'd be alienated to your family, but God is still blessing you where you are right now. You need to have a couple babies, spiritual babies, to remind you of God's blessing in your life. Final question, then we're going to close. Pastor Brad's going to come and lead us in communion. What will happen to you if you make a decision today to forgive? Now, this is very tender. What will happen in your life if you make a decision to forgive? Forgiveness crosses you over into a supernatural life. Let's reverse that. Unforgiveness will block you from the supernatural. Jesus told us to pray this way in Matthew 6, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. All of us here today in this room need to remember there's two sides of our story. There's a need for us to forgive, but there's also a need for us to be forgiven. When we are forgiven, it's a beautiful word, isn't it, to receive forgiveness? It's an ugly war when you have to forgive because it's hard to do. But we all need both. We need to be forgiven, but we also need to forgive. 
Look at what he says in verse 14. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive them their sins, then your Father in heaven will not forgive you of your sins. Look, some scholars believe that this has to do with your salvation. You, a person really can't even be a Christian, they would say, if they're holding someone else hostage for their sins when God removed a mountain load of hostility from them and their lives against God. So how can a person be a Christian if they don't understand the grace of God and what God's done for them? But for sure it's talking about your experience with God, your harmony and fellowship with God. When you forgive, like today, you are no longer walking in the darkness. You are now walking in the light. You are operating in the supernatural because now your spiritual GPS is turned on again. The Bible says that God will not hear our prayers if we carry iniquity in our hearts. So when we forgive, we move forward into our destiny. I know one of the reasons why it's been so quiet here today is because some of you have experienced immense pain in your life, pain that I can't even fathom. And I'm not, I'm not saying it's going to be easy for you to forgive. What I'm saying is it's possible if you want to. And I'm also saying that we serve a sovereign, providential God who will take care of those people for you in his time. And he will even recycle the pain that you're feeling right now. And he will use it for his glory. He will use it for a purpose in your life. Some of you know the story of Forrest Gump. You've seen the movie. Forrest Gump had a good buddy named Jenny. He loved Jenny. They grew up together. One day they're walking out in the countryside. And they come across a house. And Jenny stops and looks at the house, and this is what happens next. Sometimes, I guess there just aren't enough rocks. That old shack was a place where Jenny's dad abused her. And she'd been holding on to those rocks for so many years. 
And she picked up rock after rock, and she threw the rocks at that shack. But guess what? The shack still remained. The shack didn't fall down. And some of you today got a rock in your hand, and you're still throwing rocks at something. Why did they abuse me? Why did they treat me that way? Why couldn't they say they're sorry? Why did they steal from me? Why, why, why? And you got the rock, but the shack still stands. And today, in the final week of this series, it's time to put down the stone. It's time to put down the stone because when you put it down, all of a sudden you begin to feel differently. But pastor, how can I put it down? I still feel this way. I still feel this way toward them. Well, let me remind you of the old bell tower. The old bell tower had a rope to it. And when you grabbed a hold of the rope, you'd pull it really hard and go, bong, bong, bong. When you let go of the rope, it would still go, bong, 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 bong. And the sound of the bell would weaken because you've let go of the rope. And the only way to hear the sound of the bong again is to grab a hold of the rope. Bong, they hurt me. Bong, they touched me. Bong, I can't forgive them. Bong, but when you finally let it down, you let go of the rope. Oh, you'll still hear it. Bong. Bong, 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 gone. When you let go of it, you'll hear it for a little while, but it's only a matter of time before that leash is no longer wrapped around your soul. Father, I pray today as we take communion, that you would do a work in our hearts that we cannot do. We have been forgiven by you. And you've called us to be bridge builders of reconciliation. Let that same power in us that you gave us through forgiveness flow through us. And let it go today. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Brent.